week and a half and I came back and suddenly there was a new presidential campaign just popped up out of nowhere, which is not rare these days. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Gravel and the Mike Gravel campaign is approximately the 73,000th uh, Democrat running for president of the United States of America. Uh, hopefully, but, hopefully more under, more uh, more entertaining than uh, Eric Swalwell. Yeah, I don't know who that is. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I mean, let's get started. I'm just jazzed up. I've had my pre workout. Um, I just had a fucking nice. whole rotisserie chicken, and I got the, the one of the the minds behind Mike Gravel on my show. So I guess the first question I just want to ask is how, like, how did this happen? And I guess tangentially why if that's not too vague like like how did you come to be the mind and voice behind the mike gravel campaign well uh you know march march 14th uh a few friends and i we were we were thinking that uh you know it'd be you know for a few reasons we wanted to get a candidate in the race to push bernie to the left and kind of uh you know make attacks where bernie can't uh you know we're we're pretty hooked into like the the leftist podcast scene and you know we we love Bernie, and I'm I'm planning to vote for Bernie. I'm planning to work for Bernie, but you know we didn't like that Bernie. Uh, it never it never seemed like he was able to like make attacks on on the other candidates. Um, you know when you know like Beto O'Rourke, uh, Kamala Harris, they really really deserve to be be attacked. Um, and also there there were a few things that we thought that uh, that Bernie wasn't really great on, especially in, in foreign policy. So we thought that it'd be really great to get a, a candidate in the race who. Uh, you know, who is willing to, uh, you know, to kind of take a stand on these things. Uh, we did some research. We found, uh, we, we found the Senator and, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of emailed him out of the blue. He called us the, the, the exact same day. And, uh, you know, over the next few days we convinced him. And then, um, on March, March 20th, uh, we officially filed some people noticed on Twitter and they thought there was a prank. So, uh, so we had, we had the Senator give us his Twitter and uh, we just spent the whole day tweeting. And from there, uh, we, we kind of just found a base by accident. Yeah. Well, I mean, it feels like you're filling a niche, right? You, I mean, you say that you're there to, you know, ostensibly push Bernie to the left, right? You know, that like that's your, yeah. that's your yeah. uh, primary goal. But it seems as though more than just simply filling, you know, like rather more than simply just pushing Bernie to the left, you found your own base more or less overnight. I know not to be rude because you know, like, where are you sitting in the polls? Right. I've seen that you're ahead of some of the more, you know, real candidates yeah, already. That's so funny. <laughs> we're, we were beating Kirsten Gillibrand in one of these polls. It was the funniest thing of my life. Oh my God. I got to tell you, I mean, we spent like less than $5,000 on this campaign so far. And I mean, the fact that, that we're beating Kirsten Gillibrand is just the funniest thing in the world. That is my senator, and she's also a fellow lifter, so I, I can't have you talk too much trash about Kirsten Gillibrand. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it is it's something. <laughs> Did you see that? You see that video of her uh, lifting, and she, like her t shirt says, like, get ready for ranch or something? Oh, yeah. I think it's a meme about Iowans. Like, Iowans don't. The only condiment that Iowans use is ranch dressing. So she was just like oh. fucking doing barbell bench press and like talking shit about Iowans. So, I mean, that's my ideal <laughs> candidate. Unfortunately, she doesn't have any policies. But, you know, other than that, like, yeah, you know, 100 percent behind talking shit about Iowa. Yeah, no, I mean, I what I really want is a presidential candidate who will just tell voters to their face that they really suck. Uh, <laughs> I think um 
And I mean, I think, you know, the senator, you know, he's he's willing to say things that no one else is willing to say because he's not going to be on any ballots. Uh, we've heard a few people say that, like, you know, if Bernie doesn't get nominated. They're going to write in. They're, they're going to write him in. Uh, we hope that they don't. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think we're in the race, even if we don't get into the debates, we're in the race to to push everyone left and to attack uh, you know, really bad candidates like like Kirsten Gillibrand, like Pete uh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, in ways that uh, Bernie just can't. So you know, it's uh, you know, it's kind of new within within presidential politics, but I think that in like four eight years, I think it's something that a lot of people are going to be doing. Well, I mean, it makes more sense than the the a hundred other Democrats who are running just to. To I don't know to up their Twitter numbers like you know it, it yeah, feels like yeah. Jay Inslee is just there because I have more Twitter followers than he does and that's just you know that's yeah. upsetting <laughs> and you know churlish but but you have real policies right you know you, you have a real platform on your website oh yeah yeah I'm pretty sure we have like a longer platform than than like any other candidate uh, maybe except for like uh, Andrew Yang but like his all his policies are like you know really meaningless. Even though even though we, we joke around on Twitter a lot more than than any of the uh, any of the the other candidates, we do have like a much much stronger platform. And like hopefully when this is all over, you know, a few of the other candidates will, uh, you know, they'll look at our platform. They they'll take a few uh, you know a few things from it. And I think like in terms of like having like a, a natural base, we have a much stronger natural base than does like you know I don't know Tim Tim Ryan or or uh, Eric Swalwell or, or whoever. Like there, there's a, a pretty significant faction within the within the Democratic Party that's to the left of Bernie Sanders. Uh, there's a much smaller one that's to the right of Bernie. I think we're just responding to uh, the natural desire of people who, you know, they they love Bernie and they're probably going to vote for Bernie, but they also want to, you know, see the country and the party move really dramatically to the left in the next few years. I mean, I think that's fair. I think it's a fair point. And now, you know, there are a lot of directions we can go in with this conversation, but I guess the first thing I'm going to hone in on is that idea of, you know, the country being further to the left, you know, the country and the Democratic Party, a substantial portion of it, at least, being further to the left of not only just say, you know, your Nancy Pelosi's, your Chuck Schumer's, your Steny Hoyer's, but also even further to the left of people like Bernie Sanders on some issues, maybe not necessarily self-consciously. Not everyone is, you know, identifying as like, you know, the dirtbag left or a Marxist or whatever. But like instinctually, when you talk to them on issue by issue basis, they um they they, they have responses to things, maybe just based on gut reactions that tend to be further left than our political establishment is. You know, can you maybe speak to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, when when Bernie Sanders, you know, went to went to Fox News and he had this, this audience handpicked by by Fox News and they're all cheering for Medicare for all, uh, you know, like people just like naturally uh, when you get away from all like the political framing and like, you know, labels like like socialism, uh, you know, like, you know, even even if the idea of socialism or the, the label of socialism is not popular. The idea is that that socialism, uh, you know, represents Medicare for all uh, stuff like that, or, or rather that democratic socialism represents um, like Medicare for all and you know universal childcare and stuff like that. They're incredibly popular. Um, and so, you know, we think that that there's tremendous room for for a lot of new ideas that are that today look really radical, but that really are supported by you know huge chunks of the population. Like most people don't hate war and they, they don't want to see their kids, uh, 
you know, die for like Rumsfeld or Cheney or, or people like that. Uh, you know, most people do think that the that the state has a responsibility to protect uh, to protect the livelihoods of of everyone. It's really just you know, it, it's uh, there's a consensus that that exists around a huge number of issues that's totally imagined that that's fabricated by by the media and by by the political elite. Um, and I mean, it exists for for things like Russia, where like, you know, there's this kind of media consensus that we have to constantly be at war or like uh, in an, or that we have to constantly be in an antagonistic relationship with Russia. And it also exists for, you know, for healthcare. I mean, were it not for Bernie Sanders, the, the idea of, you know, single payer healthcare would, would be seen as like this, like ultra radical thing. Uh, and I think the media would be very happy if it if it still was. I think so. Absolutely. Right. I think that's, you know, it, you talk about this manufactured consensus when it comes to certain issues regarding, uh, you know, everything from war to universal health care to expanding Social Security to I would say everything but immigration immigration tends to, to Americans tend to be pretty I don't know far right in immigration for a lot of reasons but you know but oh yeah you know even that can be and I think in my opinion that can be sort of that can be fixed through the right sort of mechanisms the right kind of rhetoric being sort of mainstream within you know society so just going back to your campaign though you know like I said you're polling better than Kristen Gillibrand probably better than people like Jay Inslee and Swole, Swalwell uh, at least in certain polls yeah. if, if those are real people Swalwell <laughs> Swalwell <laughs> my alter ego no like you I mean you could be fucking with me because like I have like it's just like saying names that aren't real because I have no idea how many people are running and there are a lot of Democrats. Yeah. But my, I guess my question, yeah. you know, to you is like, it feels as though one of the things that people harp on with your campaign so far, at least, is this, you know, the novelty of what I guess people are calling like two or three teenagers in a trench coat, like, like you know, basically yeah. <laughs> being behind the Mike Gravel campaign. And that feels like in some ways, you know, again, it is very novel, but it also feels like a cop out, a way to avoid actually addressing, you know, both the issues that you're raising in the fact you are younger than your the average, which I would hope average campaign staffer for a multi-million yeah. dollar campaign. <laughs> Uh, but you're doing better than they are and that's you know and some people say it like that's a fucking like it's supposed to make things better but I don't understand it makes things worse right that you're doing better than like Kirsten Gillibrand's multi-million dollar campaign which I can only assume is staffed by say like ex-Clinton staffers is like kind of embarrassing for them yeah. yeah no it should be I mean I think like we as a country we think that like that our elite class is like ultra brilliant you know because they all went to like Harvard or Yale or whatever they're really dumb and like you know i've i've met a good chunk of them you know i've i've met these people on average they're they're just like really dumb people and uh like the fact that that they're kind of getting their 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 ass handed to them by by a few teenagers who you know i guess you know we are in a trench coat because uh i mean like we acknowledge that that we're not that we're not the senator but uh you know, obviously we have his blessing and we, and we, we call, you know, we work with him. Uh, like the fact that, that they're, that they're losing to a few teens in a trench coat, even if we ultimately don't make it in, into debates, I, I hope that, that we play like a small role in, in kind of exposing how, like just how, how our, our elite class is like really stupid, that they have no idea what they're doing. And you know, they're the reason that, that we, that we, uh, went to Iraq or that, you know, that we have a, a fucking, uh, opioid crisis in the, the heart of the country. 
you know, our country has just had a, a tremendous disservice done to them by these people who, who go to these Ivy League schools. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't criticize them too much because I'm, I, Henry goes to an it's Ivy fine, League school. It's fine. You can still do it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, – they're, they're just – really dumb people and uh i think hopefully hopefully like more people who are who are inexperienced go into go into politics because uh we definitely haven't had a good time with uh you know the people who are running things right now i just want to say that you don't have to be apologetic about talking shit about nerds the the discourse is very nerd critical some people might say we are bullies uh we resist that language because it is an, it is of course <laughs> lifter phobic <laughs> anti-gemetic but you know we know you know how it is but no so i mean i think that you're right right i think that a lot of the things that are going on within the the democratic party specifically right is I guess I use the word incestuous because that's like that's what it is like but it's a faux meritocracy right you have the people who were in charge of essentially winning the race against Trump 2016 like they still have jobs it's like not that I don't wish for anyone to lose their job per se but it seems as though if the meritocracy were real it seems as though people were serious about kind of defeating Trump or like waging a real campaign they would take some cues from I mean there'd be a culling really but they would take a few cues from the people who are more or less succeeding and not just keep entrenching themselves within like their dogmatic ways yeah Absolutely. I mean, like the fact that, you know, I, I'm not I'm not as moral for, uh, as you. So I, I, I can hope that like Robbie Mook and uh, Jennifer Palmieri or whatever, that, that they all lose their jobs because I mean, they, you know, they have they're up against, you know, the worst candidate in like 200 years. I mean, they're, they're also running like the second worst candidate in 200 years. But, you know, and they, they still manage to lose. I mean, these are the people who like went to uh, you know, the top schools and like had, you know, uh, like Pete Buttigieg, they, uh, you know, they were, they all worked at like McKinsey or something. Uh, the people who are running this country, who are running the, the democratic party, they're, they're idiots. They have no idea what they're doing. Uh, same with the people who are running our foreign policy. And I think when they, when they point out like, oh, you know, well, you're teenagers, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, I think we, we probably know a lot more than them. Uh, about a lot of these issues. I don't think it's about knowing more, though. I think it's about not necessarily being handcuffed to neoliberalism, right? It's about like not being handcuffed oh, yeah. to capitalism. It's about being, you know, able to like, look at the world around you objectively and go like, oh, shit's kind of fucked up, right? These things yeah. aren't cool. And no matter how many graphs you pull out to means test how shit, how uncool shit is, it doesn't make it cooler. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's like, like, look at, look at Pete Buttigieg, who, you know, he has, he has absolutely no reason to like actually change things in a way that will that will help the average person because he's he's a beneficiary of the of the current system. You know, he's a he's a Rhodes Scholar. He's a, he's an elite. Like fundamentally, you're never going to actually get change if if the people you're uh, who, who uh, are are heading the the movement are are elites and they and they like the current system. It has to be people who who see fundamentally that the current system in every single way has has betrayed the the common person it has to be someone who's willing to to tear everything down when we talk about hope and stuff like that it's all it's all bullshit it's all it's all a mirage it's it's just a way for you know for for them to continue to hoodwink you you know i don't know know, david it sounds like you're trying to be a spoiler in the 2020 in the same way that bernie was a spoiler in 2016 it's (laughs) it's, it's the third teen in this trench coat susan sarandon 
is is it just is it you, David, Henry, and Susan Sarandon? I guess like I don't know, Killer yeah. Mike. <laughs> that's that's the plan. That after you know after after he doesn't get into the debates or after like he loses or whatever, after he drops out, he's actually just going to endorse Trump again. You know, we're actually uh, we're actually all in the payroll of, of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I should have should have mentioned that at the beginning. <laughs> Vladimir Putin has, has deep pockets. You know, I, I know I know Russia yeah, has the yeah. economy the size of fucking the state of Georgia, but like it it, it has enough <laughs> pockets to fucking fund this show, fund every presidential candidate. You know, like really, <laughs> I twenty seventh dimensional chess going on there. So, but I guess you know, yeah. like, you know. By your own admission, this is kind of just not necessarily a protest candidacy, but like a, a political statement candidacy. You know, you're, you're getting there to expand the discourse, if, excuse the pun, or I guess the, the reference to my own show. So, but I wonder, like, what what happens when you get into debates, right? Like, let's say you get in, let's say you, you know, make it to uh, the first presidential debate. You're on stage with 27 other people, you know, let to be honest, 20 of which are going to be different shades of gray. It's like, like, like what's the plan from yeah. there, right? You know, like, like, what do, you know, like, what, like, what's your path to theory? Theoretical victory. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, and our plan is that if we do get into the debates, we're going to we're going to prep uh, the senator extensively. But, um, you know, hopefully, like his plan is that no matter what, no matter like what gets asked, he's going to interrupt and he's going to talk about opposing war, about overturning the system fundamentally. So his plan is that, like, I don't know if the moderator asks uh, Pete Buttigieg about I don't know, knowing, knowing French or whatever, he's going to interrupt. He's going to say that Pete Buttigieg uh, is a war hawk who uh, refused to part, who, who would not have uh, commuted Chelsea Manning's sentence or pardoned her or anything like that. Uh, and he's going to say, he's going to say that uh, the military industrial complex controls democracy and uh, controls our democracy. Um, and hopefully he's going to be an incredibly disruptive presence. And he's going to, uh, you know, he's going to introduce a lot of people uh, who are watching on television to to these, uh, you know, these ideas that right now seem radical, but that I think a lot of people fundamentally agree with. Like, I think when people um, like when people on television hear, you know, that, you know, we don't actually have to, to be at war constantly with like 12 different countries for no good reason. Uh, I mean, hopefully a few people they're they're going to hear that and they're going to say, like, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good point. I never considered that. <laughs> And I never considered we don't have to be at war constantly, perpetual oh. war. I mean, we're going on what twenty years of war in the Middle East, right? You know, if you don't, if you consider, if you don't consider the sort of like a weird shadow wars we've been engaged in, and for the past like few decades, we've you know we're going on twenty years of just like the war on terror. Yeah, I mean, but I guess you know why I think that this is so important to have a candidate so disruptive on stage is because right now we have kind of like this illusion of diversity of thought and diversity of conversation because we have so many candidates, right? So people are kind of focusing yeah. on how many candidates we actually have up there, but like how many of them actually have unique and different ideas and how many are just running so that they can you know basically up their national uh, notoriety for maybe a future run or maybe just because they have an ego or maybe just because like they don't have much else to do because they're like the governor of montana or some shit no i mean it's like every single candidate in the democratic field except for like i'd say like bernie uh like i'm i'm actually I'm not a Tulsi supporter, but I'm I'm more sympathetic to Tulsi than most, uh, and and like a few others. I I think they're all, uh, like none of them actually have anything to bring to the table. It's all it's all a change of style, you know. It's like uh, you can elect uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's like you know Obama 2.0, but like white and Midwestern, uh, and then you can elect um, 
I don't know, Beto O'Rourke, who's Obama 2.0, but like, uh, but like white and like a stoner. It's all the same. It, there, there's no, there, there's no change. It's just a continuation with like, uh, you know, slightly worse options every time. You know, I keep hearing this a lot from people, and I guess I want to get your opinion on it too. Like, like this sort of the search for the next Obama, right? The search for we have yeah. to find Obama 2.0. Is better or going to be Obama 2.0? Or if you point out that like, hey, you know, like that's not a good idea. We should be looking for an Obama 2.0. This kind of like reflexive response by you know the the pun, the pundit class, the, the the people who are ostensibly serious thinkers, despite the fact that they all miss Trump coming. But like you know, again, there there wasn't any kind of like reckoning for that they just all missed trump coming and the next day they were giving their opinions again about like like what does this mean for the world it's like well i don't know like what should, should be listening to you about it it's like this idea that you know yeah. that we should we should of course be looking for the next obama because obama was incredibly popular obama is still incredibly popular uh despite the fact that he he hasn't made any of his new netflix shows yet which i'm I, we're all eagerly awaiting yeah. but like that seems to me to be a misunderstanding of what like politics is for right a fundamental misunderstanding understanding about what politics is for insofar that politics is how we come together and solve problems like actual material problems actual social problems yeah. you know the you know things that can't be solved on an individual level but you know this kind of this idea of, of politics first and foremost as like a symbolic popularity contest I, I guess i'm interested in your thoughts on that and like where like where does like the gravel campaign you know sort of situate itself in like returning politics or rather sort of changing the conversation around politics itself. I think uh, like the way the way I define politics and the way the senator defines politics, you know, politics is deciding how to how to uh, distribute scarce resources, you know, and you can dress it up in, in all the ways that you want. But ultimately, that's what it is. And that's what it always will be. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, like Barack Obama fundamentally was like no matter even even though he was and is popular among among Democrats, fu- I mean fundamentally he did nothing to to change the, the like the neoliberal world order, and he you know he he played a uh, a huge role in giving us uh, in giving us Trump. I mean when when you don't actually do fundamental uh, political and economic reform, when you you know when you let the banks uh, continue to exist in their current form, and when you uh, you know, refuse to uh, when you refuse to do like a real, um, uh, like real economic reform that delivers for for the for the common person. Obviously, you're going to get a huge number of people who who vote for Trump. I mean, it's you know, if you if you give a, if you give like another like you know substanceless uh, like uh, meaningless politician, someone who just gives like these uh, these like dumb platitudes, and then you know, continues to, to give money to like J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs. Uh, what you're going to get is you're going to get, uh, you know, the, these people who continue to be really, really angry with the establishment. Uh, and they're, they're just going to elect a straight up fascist, you know, the next time. And neoliberalism is always going to be uh, kind of the, the gateway drug to fascism. And it's uh, you saw it with Clinton and Bush and then with uh, Obama and Trump. And I mean, if we like Beto, you're going to see it with, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Beto and uh, Richard Spencer or whoever, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just going to keep on getting worse and worse. Honestly, if Democrats nominate an Obama 2.0, in all likelihood, he will win. Uh, but then four years later, eight years later, uh, you know, we're just going to start 
you know, mass murdering undocumented immigrants, you know? I mean, you, you laugh, but it's not, you're not wrong, right? I think that we've had this conversation on this yeah. show a bunch, a few times before, where it's just like the cycle of Democrat and Republican as though it's a sustainable one. Like as though if Hillary Clinton won in 2016, you know, in 2020 or 2028, we would be in a better place. You know, I, I'm of the opinion that Trump in some ways was not necessarily an inevitability, but a Trump-like figure, given where, the way things were going, was an inevitability, right? Based on like the economic oh, yeah, system absolutely. based on the sort of material conditions of the country the social conditions of the country the fact that we were sort of like still carrying a lot of unloaded baggage from you know the civil rights movement the women's liberation movement you know the 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 trend of far-right media taking over like a lot of things contributed to trump that it feels like people aren't necessarily willing to you know to engage within a legitimate sort of earnest way instead they look for a lot of you know sort of like mental escape psychological and, and escapes for yeah. it yeah. i guess you know I questions. I guess we should go to some of the, you know, let's just do a little bit of a, a Q&A about some of like the gravel campaigns policies, right? You know, we have a lot of things going on in the country, not to be sort of vague or, you know, weaselly. And I guess I'm curious to see like where gravel stands on a lot of issues that are maybe not necessarily being addressed directly by, you know, let's say even Bernie or like Warren or, you yeah, know, some yeah. of the more legitimate candidates in my mind, like a, Bo a Bernie or a Warren, uh, you know, a uh, Kamala Harris, legitimate so far, she can win. Biden, if he's, you know, can run it. So I don't know if he's even had announced yet. Maybe it, it's kind of hard to sort of parse out. Yeah. But so. If he, if he stops sniffing girls' hair. He's yeah. never going to stop that. Uh, my dude, my dude was just uh, like, he even had the nerve to make a joke afterwards. He's like, I, I got permission from this little girl that the, the, the toucher, like, you can't get permission from a little girl toucher. It's yeah, like, what it's the like, hell? dude, I mean, like, uh, you can't get permission from a child to touch them. That's not how it works. <laughs> we have laws about that, man. <laughs> like, like maybe, maybe dial it back a little bit, Joe. Oh. Um, oh, he's, yeah, he's a bit of a weirdo. Anyway, uh, but no, I so I guess I'm so let's so what would you say are the under the under talked about uh, besides war? Because I think you know foreign policy is definitely one of them. What are some of the the domestic issues that you would say the gravel campaign is speaking to that a lot of the other campaigns have kind of just either like accepted as the way things are or have swept under the rug in favor of you know other things. I think uh, one of the ones that I would highlight would be would be reparations. You know, we're one of the we're one of the, the few campaigns that's actually taken a, a stance on reparations. I think we're, I think like it's us and like uh, Marianne Williamson who, who are pro reparations. Uh, and I mean, I, I came around to the idea pretty recently. I'm, uh, I'm, I was more skeptical of it than, than the Senator was, but you know, he makes, I think he makes a good point that even if, you know, you don't support it, there, there should be like a national dialogue about it. Uh, and just having that, that idea out there as something that, it can be discussed. I, I think it's it's very useful. Uh, and then you know stuff like uh, stuff like public you know universal public banking, um, you know the right to own, which basically um, you know when uh, when a, a business is being sold, the workers uh, would get would get the right to uh, they kind of try to buy it first. Um, and I mean above all, I think uh, you know ending the war on drugs. Our goal ultimately is you know I think even if you don't support every single plank in in the platform. Uh, you, you should you should support the platform overall because you want to see these ideas get discussed. You know, it's it's a thing of uh, a lot of these are, are ideas that no candidate is willing to touch with uh, with a ten foot pole. Stuff like uh, you know legalizing sex work or um, pardoning uh, Edward Snowden. You know, this is stuff that there, there should be a dialogue on it because I I promise you if, if a poll were taken 
within the, within uh, the Democratic Party, I think a majority of people would support pardoning Edward Snowden, and I'm pretty, and I think a plurality would probably support uh, making sex work legal. You know, it's it's something that you know just because the the elite uh, and and these uh, most of the candidates have a consensus about it, because I promise you, you know, I don't know. Uh, John Delaney or, or whoever else, you know, none of them ever, none of them ever thought about legalizing sex work. Um, you know, uh, I think most people, they, they've kind of come to their own conclusions about it. Um, so our, our goal as a platform is to be as radical as you can possibly be and not, you know, fall off a cliff. Um, you know, I myself, I don't agree with, with every single plank in there, but I think that these are things are we're kind of trying to produce, you know, uh, porn for for progressives. You know, <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to get these uh, these issues out there in a way that that no other candidate will. We on this show are critical of a lot of things. You know, I mentioned nerds. We're critical of gamers. I hope you're not a gamer. Uh, no, no, critical not of at all. the Irish. I mean, you can be Irish if you want. I mean, if <laughs> if, if you really really want, um, you know, mostly because of Beto. Uh, better or work but so i mean so but we we are primarily you know we, we're, we're a black show we're over you know we're me and my producer or my producer and i rather are blacks i'm a prominent black he's a not so prominent black richard <laughs> so i guess you know you, you mentioned reparations so we let, you know i guess we might as well like sort of talk about that a little bit what does the senator's plan for reparations actually sort of entail right are we talking about like a dialogue about reparations in the vein of like hey you know i support reparations in some sort of vague you know vague cursory way or like or does he have an actual kind of like hey we're going to and we're going to do this to investigate what that would entail and here's what i have in mind specifically for it or so or what we put forward we put forward a specific plan we said $30 billion a year from the government, it would be put in a trust fund, 20% uh, – and, and you know that trust fund, uh, it would kind of be managed in a way similar to the, the Social Security trust fund. 20% of that fund each year would be paid out. And of that money, 25% would go towards kind of cultural programs, uh, stuff like that, you know, historically black uh, colleges and universities. And then the other 75% of that that's paid out. Uh, you know, it would go towards direct reparations. So over, you know, 10, 15 years, ultimately, you know, if you have maybe 280 billion in the trust fund, uh, you know, 56 billion would get paid out. 14 billion of that would go towards direct programs. And then 42 billion would go towards, uh, you know, direct payments. So I, if you think that, I don't know, that 50 million people are going to receive it, that's going to be 840 per person per year. And then that's going to be increasing every single year. So by the time, you know, so over like a 20 year period, you're going to be getting payouts of, you know, somewhere between 20000 and $40,000. And it's going to continue for, uh, you know, lifetimes. It's not fully fleshed out, but in terms of like, you know, as far as, as reparations programs go, I think that it's, it's about as fleshed out as, as you can get, you know, at, at, at this level. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm more critical of, uh, of Ta-Nehisi Coates than most, but I, I do, I do agree with him that, you know, you probably shouldn't go and, um, uh, you probably shouldn't go and like fully flesh out a program, you know, for something as, as like politically radioactive as, as reparations, uh, until like you finally, you know, until you finally like won over, uh, people to like the, the fundamental idea. 
<laughs> and and this would of course be a complementary program to the other program that you're working on. So like let's say universal healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. I guess that's, what, yeah, that's one of the fears that we've had on this show about when it comes to reparations, that this is kind of not only uh, this is a conversation in lieu of actual policy, right? We, where you like where you might yeah. be floating something like baby bonds, a la Cory Booker or whatever. But that's just an idea out there, an ephemeral idea that's meant to kind of be a little bit of leisure domain from like supporting things that are much more fully fleshed out where it's like okay well we're yeah, gonna talk about reparations yeah. now it's like okay but can we talk about universal healthcare too it's like whoa 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 you don't want to help black people it's like well you can do both actually you yeah, can actually yeah. manage yeah. both at the same time no i'm always reminded like that's the problem with with andrew yang you know andrew yang his proposal for you know universal basic income the plan is like we're going to offer this and we're also going to offer nothing else uh, and we're just going to kind of leave you out in the cold and we're going to send you this amount of money per year. But, you know, you can't you, you can't ignore it. Uh, you know, something like reparations or something like well, like universal basic income has to be it has to be included as part of a much broader package to ensure that that everyone has you know a basic standard of living. No, no, great. I think it's really important. I think that, you know, the under sort of the under discussed aspect of both UBI and um, in sort of reparations, at least direct reparations, is that they can they could easily be folded into our neoliberal system. They could easily be an excuse to yeah, sort of yeah. like not do more structural public policy and, you know, in and that's rather not guarantee more outcome for people in, in favor of like, hey, well, if we give, you know, not to be crass, but if we cut you a check every month, you know, you're on your own. Own. You know, you're bored. You know, we're not going to yeah. do rent control yeah. re- legislation. We're not going to do sort of universal health care because we cut you this check and it has to be a both end solution. So, you know, I, I guess I, I and that's that's one of the problems with with programs like affirmative action in their current form that instead of, you know, kind of, you know, destroying the very idea of a ruling class, they're just creating a ruling class that's, uh, you know, slightly more diverse. You know, it, it's like the, uh, the the classic image that I always go back to is that, you know, you're going to have. Uh, you know the board of the board of directors of, of Raytheon be as evil as ever uh, as ever, but uh, at least you know they're gonna have like I don't know 10% black participation, 10% uh, Latinos, you know something like that. Uh, it, it's you're 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 creating a system that's you know as as terrible as ever, but the the people in charge of it are gonna you know be slightly be slightly more colorful, be slightly uh, more interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you think back, they like you know, Captain Planet's villains were pretty multi ethnic and multi gender. <laughs> so, yeah, like, you know, like, there was one that was the rat, yeah. who I think was kind of supposed to be Arab, which is really offensive if you think about it. Yeah. Then it was the chick, and then there was like the fat one, uh, who looks like a mm. um, Bannon. Uh, Hoggish Greedley. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember Hoggish that. Greedley. He looks like a uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, although Steve Bannon had the way worse complexion than the pig one from Captain Planet, which is kind of fucked up if you think about it. Yeah. And no offense to the Hoggish Greedley from Captain Planet. I'm sure he's living his life, you know, best he can. Um, but you know, it's like he was a good man. I like. I him. mean, like he, you know, listen, he, we're, all, we're all just trying to get by in this world. Yeah. No, that's that's my philosophy. You know, like. Uh... Like the Riddler, why can't people just leave the Riddler alone? Because the Riddler was fucking annoying. Honestly. Like I, I don't know, like I don't want to get yeah. off track, but the Riddler <laughs> was fucking annoying. I don't know, like you know, we can. I guess, I guess we're hearing about like all of Pete Buddha geeks. I don't, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to pronounce his name. Uh, favorite like favorite musicians and like Joe, like Beto's favorite mu- musicians. Who is Mike Gravel's favorite rapper? Do you know? Can you tell us? Oh, Immortal Technique. Really? Uh, we've been. Yeah, we've been Immortal Technique has been incredibly supportive of of us. I had a uh, like two weeks ago. I had like a, an hour long phone call with him about a uh, uh, veterans policy. Um, he's just like honestly, I I've been I kind of turned the senator on to uh, to Immortal Technique. Uh, I I had him listen to to one or two songs. He uh, came away a bit confused, uh, but. <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, Immortal Technique is I've I've been a, a huge fan of his for a long time, and I uh, we're we're very happy to have him uh, supporting it in whatever way he can. Can I, can I make a suggestion? Yeah, Riff Raff, not political, but. You think Riff Raff would support? I think Riff Raff would support anything. Perfectly honest, like if I'm if I'm being genuine, but like, <laughs> but you know, honestly, maybe not Killer Mike because he seems like he's already in the pocket of of big uh big Bernie. Yeah, you know, of big Bernie. Bernie's yeah. million million of dollars from his book from his book sale. <laughs> I can't. I, I want I want Bernie to come out with like a monocle and a top hat for one of the for one of the events. I, I honestly, he should he should come out like dressed like the fucking Monopoly man, yeah. like playing Drip Too Hard by fucking Lil Baby, and it's like throw like a bunch of like i know nickels into the crowd <laughs> anyway but no i mean oh. i mean that's, that's a good answer good answer i mean i don't know who ever last is so it's a good answer that you know it, it gets the urban demographic yeah. excited about <laughs> of you to know that, that mike gravel is out there listening to rap but i think you made a good point right about the we have a lot of candidates this time around you know a fair amount of them are just like basic ass white dudes you know no offense to the basic ass white dudes yeah, are li- yeah. to you know who are listening and are fans of the show but a lot of them are they're they're the backbone of, they this, are country. The backbone yeah. of this country you know <laughs> I, you know if nothing else uh, they 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 do most of the barbecue. They, they do yeah. most of the barbecuing. They do most of the I don't know yeah. the purchasing of mayonnaise. I assume, uh, but like you know, so like and the, one of the critiques I've seen of you know I, I hate to sort of like straw man this, but I've, I've seen it come out. Like one of the critiques I've seen of you know Mike Gravel, he is just another kind of white man coming into the you know coming into the race to distract away from the many people of color, a la Cory Booker. Uh, you know, color, uh, Cory Booker and yeah. Kamala Harris and, you know, the many, many women, uh, in the race already, uh, Amy, uh, uh, sort of, um, what was it? Uh, clobber, clobber, kombucha, yeah. Klobuchar, um, you know, uh, I call her, I call her clobber sharp because, uh, I think one day she's going to, she's going to clobber some of her, her staffers. Well, I mean, she's yeah. going to do a Fox news, a, a Fox news, a town hall. So it's like, if she just like fucking hurls a, a chair at Tucker Carlson, he, she has my vote. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Gravel, but I'm sorry, Senator Gravel. Yeah. If, if she beams Tucker Carlson upside the head with a chair, I mean, what can you really say? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would vote for her. I would, I would resign from the campaign and just support her from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> we don't really care about about the senator's like life story, you know, other than like the Pentagon Papers and stuff like that. But like, we don't really care. Like, you know, he speaks French, and you know, we, we don't, we don't think that that would really appeal to to people uh, because we 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 think that that voters are the people that we're trying to appeal to are, are pretty smart. They care a lot more about you know p- how policies will actually affect them than about. Um, you know, like the personal quirks of, of this candidate. Meanwhile, you see, you know, the 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 Pete uh, Budeg, uh, whatever his name is, um, Pete Budegieg, uh you, you know, you see, you see his campaign. It, it, it thinks so little of of the, of its voters that you know, like their main pitch is like, wow, our, our candidate is a is a is a pretty cool fucking guy. <laughs> And honestly, I gotta say about about that guy, uh, Pete. Uh, Pete. No one knows how to pronounce his name. Don't uh, worry about it. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's God. What? An, why can't he change it? I mean, it's just such a bad name. It has uh, butt in it. But, I know we're not supposed to talk about that because yeah. I think I think people say it's homophobic. I don't. I, I think that's kind of weird to think that if you like use the word butt around like a gay person, like that is homophobic. I seems. I think it seems like a, it seems like a reach. Yeah. No, I think that like honestly, like every every time I see. I see that guy speak. I I think that he's a that he's a fucking serial killer. I think that like one of the one of like the creepiest guys I've I've ever seen. Like he's just I'm I I don't know how anybody could support him. I don't think anyone does. 
I, I think that does. Yeah, I, I think the support of Pete Buttigieg. A bit, uh, fuck, God damn it! Now I've met. <laughs> I think his support of of Mayor Pete, uh, which kind of sounds like he's the mayor of the town that Bob the Builder lives in, but whatever. Mayor yeah. Pete um, <laughs> is manufactured, or if not manufactured, it, it's an, it's incredibly centered within the media culture. The people who like Peter Bo- Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. God, fuck! I hate saying that. It, it, it comes off the tongue just wrong but uh the people who like him are the ones who sort of operate within media spaces and have a lot of clout and they're the ones who are sort of pushing this narrative that like he's perfect and he's smart and he's likable and he's charming because like if it like, if he weren't the mayor of someplace <laughs> um some i remember you know his his town is like a smaller population than like boise idaho yeah, like if he wasn't the mayor of like, montana yeah. or some shit he would be like working with them <laughs> at some bullshit at like, you know, essentially Center for American Progress or or like yeah, some other think yeah. tank or some other sort of consultancy. That that's what he like you know that they are also made up of like McKinsey people, right? Like like he's like he's yeah. part of that population. They feel an affinity with him. And, you know, and he says he says the right things to them, I suppose. But like just succumbing to the kind of myopia where we were talking about a little bit earlier, I think, where it's like, oh well this is this is Mayor Pete. And like he's yeah. just like us. And like, so if people don't like him, it's like it's just their problem. He's a yeah. No, I mean it's totally it's because they're they're terrified of of structural change because they're they benefit from the current system. They're they're the winners of the current system. And so, you know, when they see a candidate like Bernie or to a lesser extent a candidate like Warren, you know, they they're never going to like them. They're never going to decide with them. I think Bernie more so than Warren. But, you know, that they they they're promoting uh Pete uh and like, you know, earlier they're promoting Beto relentlessly because He's like the the great hope to defeat to defeat Bernie. He's like, and they're hoping that people are dumb enough to promote this this like random Indiana or like Ohio or whatever you know person instead of like actually you know changing the country in a fundamental way for the first time in decades. You know they're they're hoping that that people will uh, continue to uh, to just like vote for for like I don't know whoever like looks good. And honestly, I gotta say. Uh, again, I mean, I, 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 I don't know how, how anybody could possibly like see that guy and like have any sort of liking for him. I like, I see these people on Twitter who, who are like criticizing us and they're like, I'm, I'm for Pete in 2020. Uh, I like, I don't know how it's like supporting uh, Patrick Bateman. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's insane. It's Twitter. You can find anyone on Twitter. It's like, no offense. Yeah, it's just true. like, you can find anyone. I, like That's one of the worst aspects of Twitter. It's just like, they're like, before Twitter, before the internet, you know, it's done a lot of good things to like for a lot of good people, but like it destroyed the concept of like straw men because like you can you've access to the entire world, so yeah, oh, so it's like yeah. You, know, you, you can you can find anybody to like elevate and pretend as though like they exist, right? When they really don't, you know, not at least not in substantial numbers, right? You know, like there's not a substantial number of people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking for like Jay Inslee. They don't like that's not a not statistical yeah. significant one, but you like but because they exist online, you get you know you get access to them more or less for the yeah. first time. You're gonna find like all all twelve Jay Inslee supporters, all, all yeah. in the same place, all in the same chat room, all in the group, the same group yeah. chat, just sort of like going like balls deep, thinking about how great Jay Inslee is, a, a guy who like no one knows <laughs> who he is, but like at the same time, it's just like I think that Mike the Mike Gravel campaign, both you know as a you know a concept and as a reality, has proven that it's not impossible to gain traction out of nowhere, right? You know, oh, at yeah. least if you're saying something that's worth saying, yeah. 
No, I mean, I think that that like, honestly, I, I love Twitter because uh, I love watching like these like random centrists uh, get mad at, at teenagers online. Uh, and there, there's nowhere like there's nowhere else that you can do that. Um, but I think like, you know, I think that that the great thing about Twitter is that it gives you I mean, first of all, like like most people on Twitter are fairly young and they're they're going to be generally, you know, the the audience that, that we get to interact with is, is going to be at Bernie's level or to the left of Bernie. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it shows that like when you actually have like a real policy platform, when, when you're actually saying things instead of like, you know, having these like weird platitudes like uh, like like uh, Jay Inslee or these others, uh, you know, you're going to uh, you're, you're going to find an audience. And I think that that's that's why we that's why we beat uh, Gillibrand and that's why we tied, uh, you know, uh, Klobuchar, you know, because we we actually like have like an ideological place, uh, unlike these people who, you know, they've never had a policy in their entire lives and they're, they're terrified of having a policy. Well, I guess my question. So, you know, you mentioned Twitter. Like, do you guys have any plans, you know, or substantial plans to sort of move? I mean, because Twitter, you know, Twitter is oftentimes not really reflective of like the, you know, we like the Twitter's fun. It's, it's all fun games, but sometimes it's not necessarily reflective of like the the at least not the notoriety, right? I think there's, you know, there's something to be said about like, hey, yeah. being well-known on Twitter doesn't necessarily translate to being well-known in real life, at least not well enough, you know, at least as it comes to like actually per- doing an, uh, an election, right? You know, like winning an election or like yeah. even the Kevin, yeah. that, that's the Nokmiki Konst effect, really, where it's like, oh, this person seems really big on Twitter, but then like, oh, well, they won 1% of the vote, which I guess if you were Mike Gravel, that might be like, a substantial amount at this point but you know yeah. but so i wonder if you have any plans to sort of expand this kind of network of you know activism of sort of organizing of advocacy off of twitter for more live events more sort of like like offline sort of organizing and event work yeah i now now we have like a lot of a lot of like real world volunteers kind of found us via twitter and actually, I, I have to get back to responding to these like fucking emails. I'm getting getting so many of them. People are like, I want to start the, the Buffalo field office for for the senator. Uh, and like, eh, you know, it, it's 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 a bit difficult moving, you know, moving from like, you know, doing Twitter all day and dunking on people to like actually like overseeing these uh, these operations. Um, uh, but, you know, ultimately, like our goal is. Uh, let's say we don't, we don't meet our fundraising goals. You know, we'll have to go the polling route. Uh, our goal is to like find a, a real base within, within the, the democratic party. Uh, I think it won't be hard because I, like, I think we, we know like the organizations that, that are going to be more supportive of us. That's going to be like the anti-war groups and, you know, DSA and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it, it is, it, it is one of the, one of the main challenges that like, it's really easy to like win the day on Twitter it's much harder to like actually you know like do stuff for the campaign yeah you know it's 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 a different whole different world uh you know just to circle back around i guess i am a little bit curious about sort of uh you know we mentioned and being anti-war being anti-military industrial complex you know mike i guess mike gravel is best known for his reading the pentagon papers into the record while in the senate so i guess i guess i'm curious as to sort of his stance on foreign policy at this point right now yeah he's uh Honestly, I don't think I've met anyone who's like more radical than him on this stuff. Like uh he was uh like he uh he wanted to end all sanctions, which like I as like an idea I'd never even heard of before. Uh and he 
like the stuff that he's like that he's like hip to it's 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 just incredible like closing all military bases stuff like that like in a lot of in a lot of ways he he's to our left on um on this stuff uh you know he's he's really really based he is he's just an awesome guy uh like he's I remember I was before I before I reached out to him I did some research on him He's so cool. He literally spoke at a conference in Iran. <laughs> I mean, the the Iranian government invited him, and he he went, and now he he just like loves Iran more than anything. Uh, and like, you know, whatever you think of Iran, that's just so awesome. <laughs> he's so he's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how did you choose Mike Gravel? Like, like I guess we didn't really talk about like like what like what was the like what was like the the thought process behind him specifically. It was, you know, we thought that we wanted someone who had kind of like some sort of name recognition, but who was also uh, was also like amenable to to this uh, to like this arrangement. Uh, and we thought that like, you know, he had we kind of like vaguely knew who he was. And then we, we heard him mentioned on, on Chapo. Um, and, uh, you know, so I we thought that like he would be. Uh, like just bringing him back, I, I we thought it would be it was like just too good of an opportunity, uh, and actually like we kind of did it, you know, we we kind of reached out to him not really expecting that he'd that he'd respond. We were very pleasantly surprised when he uh, when he called us that that exact day. <laughs> and was he just down with the idea, like it's a hundred percent, like hey, you know what, like, I, I want these these two teens and Susan Sarandon to run my Twitter account and just like <laughs> go buck wild on these people. Uh, at first, he was against it. You know, he's he's like he's 88. He's in retirement, uh, and he's now he's like working on this book of his. Uh, you know, at first he he thought that like I kind of just want to live out my retirement in peace. Uh, gradually, we got him on board, uh, and then after that, we got his wife on board. Uh, so it took us. It actually only took us like four days to get him convinced. I mean, he seems like a very. I was kind of prepared because I watched part of the Vice interview, uh, specifically the part that you posted on your Twitter account where he's like, you know, he makes the inspiring statement of tossing ice down the stairs, which is yeah. 100% <laughs> correct. I, I've never heard it, you know, expressed so eloquently or succinctly before that we should just toss them down the stairs. But in, once you hear it, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, uh, but like really, you know, it comes down to, uh, like, he just he just seems like a sweet old man. He has like Wilford Brimley energy. He, he's, he's, yeah, he does. He's so fucking. Cool. He's, like, he's so cool. Like he's, like I've never met like someone, and I, it's kind of like the Bernie Sanders thing too. He's like he's like this like really like nice old man, but he's also like to the left of like ninety nine percent of people or ninety nine percent of politicians rather. You know, I think that. Like he's, it, I, I was, I was totally shocked that, that I, that we could find like this person who is both like so, so old and so, so fucking radical. I guess that raises a really interesting question that I guess I would want to ask you, you know, when it comes to Bernie and this goes back to the, the sort of the identity aspect of Mike Gravel, I guess also will fold in the identity aspect of Bernie Sanders and even sort of the ways in which the left itself has been kind of whitewashed, right? You know, and then we have, you know, this essentially 90 year old man who's incredibly radical, who has hooked up with these, you know, like 
I don't know how old you are. Like, how old are you actually? They say, I'm 17. Oh, actual teenagers, right? Uh, essentially, which you know, which I think that people are much more ready to accept are in, like are radicalized, which may or may not be true. I, yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that like the idea that teenagers are like incredibly radical, is, at least radically progressive, is kind of just like a liberal, like a liberal myth, like a way to avoid actually having oh, to deal yeah. with like problems themselves like oh the teenagers will handle it well you know because like we're, we're gonna abolish racism by teenagers by like, old people dying and teenagers getting older and like they're just gonna be inherently more progressive because racism is a thing that exists in certain populations like old people and it's not being sort of like you know simply perpetuated through the various systems that we have so i guess my question for you is or rather what i want to comment on from you rather is like what is it like kind of breaking or rather sort of like dealing with those issues where it's like you have this incredibly old man who's like defying all of the sort of social odds and cultural norms of like old white dudes are republicans and incredibly fucking conservative and reactionary and how does that sort of relate to your experience with like dealing with teenagers your own age because i guess you know how were you radicalized yourself too i was you know, I was always pretty radical. My family, my family's from Argentina. So my mom survived uh, the Dirty War, which of course was uh, was started by by Henry Kissinger. Uh, so you know, she's always she's always kind of had it out for for like Kissinger and, and the American government. Uh, and she, you know, she still identifies as as a socialist. Um, you know, it's a thing of uh, like ultimately, you know, uh, I, I think that people have this this conception of, of generational politics that that's hugely inaccurate. You know, it's like most teenagers I know are, they, they either like don't care about politics at all and most likely never will, or like they're actually like, like a lot of them are, are pretty big into Trump uh, because, you know, ultimately teenagers are, are dumb and a lot of them will just continue with their parents' politics. Uh, like, you know, what happened was, the the generation that that the senator is from, they were incredibly radical, and they were kind of just abandoned by people like Bill Clinton and and people to a lesser extent, you know, people like Barack Obama. It was kind of the, this uh, this middle generation that just kind of totally broke off from like the truly radical politics of uh, that the senator, people like Frank Church, uh, embodied. You know, like the senator, he favors you know just abolishing the CIA. That's something that you haven't heard in American politics in decades. Uh, but, you know, as a country, if anything, we, we've been moving right. And uh, I think that honestly, like the current generation, you know, Generation Z that I'm that I'm a part of, I don't think that we're going to be like much more of a of a of a progressive generation than than, uh, uh, you know, than than uh, than millennials or Gen, or Gen X. Um, I think like people putting all of their hopes for the country on on the next generation, it's just an awful strategy. You know, it worked out terribly with the boomers. Um, and I think it's going to work out terribly with uh, gener- uh, Generation Z, you know. Well, I mean, I have faith mostly because it's just like, I think your campaign is proof of this. We're seeing a much more radicalized democratization of the of the discourse, of the public discourse. So, you know, you have more, Twitter is a, a hellhole full of Nazis and the media is for the most part, if not, I think liberal media is the wrong word for it, but it's very centrist. The centrist media is what we have and that encompasses everything from CNN and MSNBC to like Fox News and, uh, you know, basically anything that you see on TV. But like there's so much, there's so many more spaces for people to be radical 
radicalized within on the left. And I think that we, you know, we're at this point in time where like radicalization is inevitable. You know, like I think the material and yeah. social conditions of society currently make radicalization more or less inevitable. I know people have said that in the past, but it feels as though, you know, with the, the, with the technology we have now combined with the, you know, the widespread alienation, that radicalization is just like, it's, it's a matter of where you go, not if you go somewhere, right? You know, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's true. It's, um, I mean, like we have the, the left has to get to a place where I, I'm not sure how they're going to get to that place, but they have to get to a place where they're able to, to bring in these people who have never thought about politics in their entire lives because they have much better things to, to think about. Uh, and they have to get them to vote for, for democratic socialism or, or for, I don't know what, whatever label you want to put on it. You know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a big ask and, and hopefully we're like one small part of that in, in radicalizing a lot of, a lot of liberals, a lot of leftists, but, uh, you know, I, I mean the, uh, as Lenin said, you know, we, we have, uh, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, how do you think that we, you know, how do you think that we do that? How do we think, how do you think that we turn, I think there's a lot of emphasis within the Democratic Party specifically from like in converting, say, you know, you're more moderate insofar as they exist, you're good Republicans to the Democratic side. But you're talking about something, you know, a little bit, you know, I would argue makes that makes a lot more sense converting your non-voter to voter like that's your swing voter to to quote aoc like we're trying to convert non-voters to voters in your you know in your and i guess the senator's opinion like what does that entail like how do you do that how do you take people who don't necessarily think about politics as being meaningful in their lives and make them think about politics as an intrinsic part of their life or at least a way to better their lives what do you have to do and actually i that quote was from i think Karl marx whatever uh, what you have to do is, uh, you know, you have to point out the how how po- how politics, and I, I think a lot of people they think of politics as like this like really like meaningless thing about like you know Republicans and Democrats and how like they're fighting about some random social issue that they don't really care about. You have to point out that you know politics is ultimately fundamentally about their life, and it's about these these economic decisions that undergird everything that they encounter on a day-to-day basis that the fact that you know they're probably not going to be able to send their kids to college or that their 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 healthcare you know you know fucking sucks uh you know you have that you have to point out at every single turn that that's because uh we don't have we we don't have like a real uh a, a real government that's interested in the welfare of its people and that that's because we don't have a system in place that wants to make people succeed and wants to make people have a basic standard of living that they can expect. Um, you know, it's a thing of, uh, you have to point out the, the interactions between the political and the personal. And when you focus politics on, you know, like Russia or, or something like that, obviously people are going to tune out. You, you have to focus it on, on bread and butter issues on, you know, uh, on like, you know, this is my platform. This is how it's going to help you. And this is how it's going to help your community. It, it can never be about these like philosophical or, or esoteric issues that a lot of politicians like to focus it on. I think that we've kept you for long enough. Uh, you, oh, I, know, yeah. I know you have, I mean, we, we can keep talking if you'd like, but you've been, I'm sure you have a lot of work to do uh, considering yeah, the show. I, I have to respond to all these, all these fucking emails. If you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share, uh, Please, you know, share them now. And of course, tell people where they can find you in the center and keep up with your work. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I guess, uh, you know, the highest form of politics is uh, making centrists mad on Twitter. Of course. Uh, you can find... <laughs> You can you can find uh, you can find the senator at, at Mike uh, Mike M I K E Gravel G R A V E L, um, and you can find me at uh, at David E Ox O K S at uh, at Twitter. Right. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, it's that real this time around. Revolutionary Volume Two. It's on now, motherfucker. Lock and load. This is the point of no return. I can never go back. Life without parole. Upstate, shackled and trapped. Living in the hole. Looking at the world through a crack. But fuck that. I'd rather shoot it out and get clapped. I've gone too far. There ain't no coming back for me. Auschwitz gas chamber full of Zyklon B. Just like the Spanish exterminating Tainos. Raping the black and Indian women. Creating Latinos. Motherfuckers made me out of self-righteous hatred. And now you got yourself a virus. Stuck in the matrix. A suicide bomber. Strapped and ready to blow. Lethal injection, strapped down, ready to go Don't you understand, they'll never let me live out in peace Concrete jungle, guerrilla war out in the streets Nat Turner with the sickle, pitchfork and machete The end of the world, motherfucker, you not ready This is the point of no return and nobody can stop it Malcolm Little when he knelt before Elijah Muhammad The comet that killed the dinosaurs, changing the earth They love to criticize, they always say I change for the worse Like prescription pills when you misusing them, nigga The Templar Knights when they took Jerusalem, nigga and figured out what was buried under Solomon's temple Al-Aqsa, the name is not coincidental I know too much, the government is trying to murder me No coming back like cutting your wrists open vertically How could the serpent be purposely put in charge of the country? Genetic engineered sickness spread amongst me My people are so hungry that they attack without reason Like a fucking dog ripping off the hand that feeds him Immortal technique is treason to the Patriot Act So come and get me, motherfucker, cause I'm not coming back This is the point from which I can never return and if I back down now, then forever I burn This is the point from which I can never retreat Cause if I turn back now, there can never be peace This is the point from which I will die, succeed, live in the struggle I know I'm alive when I bleed from now on It can never be the same as before Cause the place that I'm from doesn't exist anymore This is the point of no return, nigga You better believe this Mary Magdalene giving birth to the children of Jesus The evolution of the world, bloody and dramatic Human beings killing monkeys to conquer the Planet, the kingdoms of Africa and Mesopotamia Machine gunning your body with depleted uranium This is the age of microchips and titanium The dark side of the moon in contact with aliens I started out like Australians Criminal minded, broke into hell Tore it down and built a city behind it Southpaw, murderous, methodology nigga Remember that I'm just a man, don't follow me nigga Cause once you pass the point, you can never go home You gotta face the possibility of dying alone So tell me motherfucker, how could you die for the Throne, when you don't even got the fucking heart to die for your own It rains acid, one day the earth will cry from a stone And you'll be looking at the world living inside of a dome Computerized humanity living inside of a clone This is the place where the unknown is living and real Wormwood, the planet X, and the seven seal Universal truth is not measured in mass appeal This is the last time that I kneel and pray to the sky Cause almost everything that I was ever told was a lie This is the point from which I can never return And if I back down now, then forever I'll burn. This is the point from which I can never retreat Cause if I turn back now, there can never be peace This is the point from which I will die, succeed, live in the struggle I know I'm alive when I bleed from now on It can never be the same as before Cause the place that I'm from doesn't exist anymore